It is most certainly a pleasure to get a chance to, to worship with you guys today, although it's online and, and we were supposed to be outside and the rain came and everything else, but it's all good. So uh, we want to get a chance just to dive into the text, dive into our time together. And it's interesting that the time that we're in right now, the Olympics, we see elite athletes all across the world who have sacrificed and, 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 and have and have taken away some things in their lives and they've been laser focused in this moment of time. And I know I, th what it's like to, to be in a situation where you have to sacrifice as an athlete. I, I competed in college and it was a fun time, a great time. And as I look back, I'm, I look back and I say, how in the world did I do that? What was the cost that I had to pay to play at that level? And it's, it's interesting that I fast forward all these years now and I think for a lot of us can and can uh, relate to this, that when you get older, your, your body changes and you have to go on a different fitness journey. And for me, I still work out like crazy, but I've come to learn a key lesson is that I cannot out train a bad diet. So I used to work out a lot and I'd run and I, well, I don't run. I hate running actually. So, but I would lift weights and, and I would do martial arts and all this other kind of stuff because I wanted to stay in shape. But I would think, like my 20-year-old self, I could eat whatever I wanted. And then I had a physical. And the doctor's like, there are some things you need to cut back on. And I'm like, but I like those things. And, and what, I, what I'm saying is, is there's a cost to be fit and healthy. Just like there's an athlete that has to pay a cost to compete in the Olympics, there's a cost for an athlete uh, to play professional sports or to be an elite-level competitor. Just for us in our regular, everyday lives to be fit and healthy, uh, there is a cost. But there's also a cost of following Jesus. And there's a cost to being a disciple. Now, there's something I want us to understand that just like this formula for health is simple yet difficult, the cost of following Jesus as a disciple is too simple yet difficult. So we're going to dive into the text and we're going to be in Luke chapter 9 and, and I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard uh, Bible. And we're going to read verses 23 through 26. Starting at verse 23, then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him. And when he comes in his glory and that of the father and the, his holy angels. Now, it's interesting that as we look at this text, these verses here, that he is saying this after he feeds 5,000 in verses 10 through 17. And he's following, uh, he has a following after this, after the what I like to call the world's greatest fish fry. He has a following of thousands here. And, and after this, after this feeding, he conducts an unofficial poll to find out what the people are saying about him. We see that in verses 18 through 20. Then he, pre he predicts his death and resurrection. And now we get to this shift, this turn. And, and this turn is going to present the main point of this entire text. The main point of this passage is that the call to follow Jesus is a call from being self-centered to Jesus-centered. Now, why is that important? It's important because all of life is worship. 
Now, there are two categories or, or things that this text reveals that, that will outline the cost to follow Jesus. And what we'll see is that these categories are connected to each other. The first one is our comfort and control. That, this, that following Jesus will cost us our comfort and control. So let's look at the text in verse uh, 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, what we see here in the text is are the are the conditions of discipleship. So let's look at this first one. Deny yourself or deny oneself. Here's the reality. It's not about you. It's not about me. So what Jesus is saying here is more than just denying one's sins. Now, that's that's important. That's also hard enough. We understand that it's hard enough to deny our sins. But but what, what Jesus is calling us to is something deeper. He is calling us to deny ourselves and, and, and to be a follower of Jesus means that that we can be neither self-centered nor self-indulgent. And if we look at this, this is a hard call in our culture and society today. We're told to look out for number one. We're told to look out for ourselves above everything else. We're told to center life on ourselves. But the thing is, is while we're, we're while society and culture is telling us to de uh, to feed ourselves and indulge ourselves, Christ is calling us to deny ourselves. So the first condition of discipleship is to deny oneself. But there's another one in this text to take up one's cross. Now, this is a call to die each and every day. That following Jesus is a call to die each and every day. Now, look at the language of this text. He says, take up his cross daily. Now, you got to understand that he's saying this to his disciples and his disciples living in Roman society and under Roman authority understood this. While we may not fully understand, what do you mean by taking up our cross daily? He understood this. Now, this is what it's not. This is not that cute little Jesus piece that the little pretty things that people want to wear around their, their necks and, and this pretty thing printed on our notebooks or, or we see on church buildings. No, this is not what we're talking about. And that's not what the disciples would see when they talk about a cross. See, the cross was a gory and cruel method of execution. See, watch this. Crucifixion was so brutal that Roman citizens were protected from this form of capital punishment. So think about it. It was so brutal that Roman citizens were protected for it, but it was good enough for everybody else. This is what Jesus is calling them to do. This is what, what Jesus is calling his disciples to, to, to see. And here's what he's doing. He's showing that he's going to model that too because he had to carry his own cross. But understand this also. When you think about the idea of carrying one's cross, we have to understand that to carry the cross was a one-way trip. You're taking yourself to death. And, and Jesus wants to understand the urgency and the importance and the gravity of what it means to follow him, which is to take up your cross and follow him. And that goes to the third point here within this text to follow Jesus. So, so it's not just enough to deny oneself. It's not just enough to take up one's cross daily. But the third part here is to follow Jesus. Now, watch this. What does that mean? It means to live for Jesus every day and everywhere you go. See, it's not about living for self, but for Jesus. So to deny oneself is a reject living for self, but to follow Jesus is a call to live for Jesus. So the thing that we have to understand is that a lot of times, and I'll use a sin for a sin example, we're like, I want to avoid sin. And that's like, great. Let's use an example for something. I want to avoid 
cussing or whatever, right? And we'll say, okay, that's great. We're running from a sin, but what are we running to? So it's not enough to run from something. We have to run to something. It's not enough to run from sin. We have to run to someone, and that someone is Jesus. So if we're going to deny ourselves, right? And we're going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to lay this sin before Christ. Then I have to pursue Jesus in a way that fills the desire to want to do this sin, whatever that might be. Now, we all know driving in this area is crazy and people will test you there. But what are we feeling ourselves? If we're pursuing Jesus, then our words will reflect who we're pursuing. That makes sense. And so we want to follow Jesus because what happens is we're saying that we want to follow you in everything. We want to live for you in every way of our lives. That every aspect of our lives is about following Jesus. So the question is, or, or not really the question, but the statement is we want to be like Jesus, but, he, but are we willing to follow him even in his suffering and in his death? Luke 14, 27 says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is already laying out the terms, deny oneself, take up his cross daily and follow him. And if you're not willing to do that, then you cannot be his disciple. I cannot be his disciple. We cannot be his disciples if we're not willing to do that. And I think it's important for us to understand this idea of the cross because I think we need to get some perspective. I saw an article from the Gospel Coalition this week. And the reason why I'm saying perspective is because really, American Christians have a really jacked up perspective of what persecution looks like. Like we think we suffering, but we're not really suffering. Most of us are being inconvenienced, but we're not really suffering. Let me tell you about suffering real quick. So, so talk about the call to follow Jesus. What can it cost? Watch this. In an article from the Gospel Coalition this week, it said that 3,400 plus Christians were killed by Nigerian jihadists so far this year. We're in the end of July. Here's, here's it from the article. More than 3,400 Christians have been murdered in the past 200 days. That was from January 1st to July 1st by Nigerian jihadists, according to a report by a Nigerian human rights group. This is an average of 17 Christians in Nigeria being killed every day this year. An additional 3,000 Christians are also estimated to have been kidnapped by these groups in the past seven months. So Inner Society, which is the International Society for Civil Liberties and the Rule of Law, they say that about 300 churches have been threatened, attacked, or closed by jihadists in the same period. Think about this. In the States, we're not dealing with this. And I, I praise God for this, but I want us to think about the global picture with our brothers and sisters because we complain about masks here. Like we getting persecuted because you got to wear a mask. Other people are being murdered and we're complaining about a mask. That's not persecution. That's inconvenience. But we see even to this day a picture of what it means to deny oneself, take up their cross daily and to follow Jesus. And while we may not be suffering like many of our brothers and sisters overseas, we need to understand this. In a society, in a culture that calls us to pursue the comforts of, of this world and to control our lives and destiny, what Jesus is calling out of his disciples is to give up that control, to give up that comfort, be willing to do that. And that in and of itself is countercultural. 
I think we need to meditate on Paul's words in, in um, Philippians 3.10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is to lay down our comfort and our control. But it doesn't stop there. And it goes to our second point that we are also called to lay down our priorities and our affections. In verses 24 through 25, uh, Jesus says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for, because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? Now, notice there's a paradox within this text. To save a life, you got to be willing to lose it. To lose your life, you got to be willing to save it. And I think it's important to look at the context here because in Jesus' day, Jesus is, is coming to the people of Israel and he's preaching and teaching in the synagogues and in temples. And so anyone who was concerned with their reputation within Judaism, well, here's the thing, they would have never come to Jesus. Or if they did, they would have come in the secret like Nicodemus. They would have, they would have kept on the low, sliding into the DMs saying, hey, Jesus, what does it take to follow you? Why is this? Because the, the religious leaders, they had an official position of rejection, that they were rejecting Jesus. But notice also here the key part within this paradox, because of me or in other translations for me. And I think the words because of me and for me really get to the heart of the issue. And it's, it's us asking the question, why do we do what we do? What is our why? You see, what, what Jesus is saying is, if your why is self-preservation, well, it's going to inevitably end in loss. If you're about saving yourself, if you're about getting yours, if that's your priority, you will lose it all. So is life really about getting or living your best life now? Is that your primary goal in life? What a tragic thing would it be, as rapper Show Baraka says in his song, Ali, that you climb the ladder of success on the wrong wall. I think about it within my own life where I found myself pursuing my career passions because honestly, and I, and I was saying in a good way, like, I want to glorify God. But at the end of the day, I, I want to be honest with you. I want it to be about me while I wanted the fat check. I wanted the prestige of the position. I was a college football coach before going into ministry. And so my, my focus was getting that next big job because at this stage in my life, my hope was to be coaching either in the NFL or one of the big fat power five jobs like in the SEC or the ACC or whatever, where you got paid a whole lot of money to watch a bunch of 18 and 22 year olds play a game and you coach them. Where am I at now? Now, it's because God had different plans. I'm so thankful for that. But I look back over it now and I see God structuring my life to get me to this place. But ultimately, for me to experience everything that God had for me, to experience what God was created me for, for his glory, there were some things I had to lay down because they were competing for his glory. Now, I said in myself that, yeah, this is a good thing, but at the end of the day, my affections and my pursuits and my desires to grow professionally was actually in competition for what God wanted. And God is not going to share his throne with anybody or anything. And so we have to learn that there is a futility 
to cling to one's life. And so the question that I have for you, as I've expressed already, is how many times have we tried to cling to things and save them only to lose them? For some, it might be jobs. For others, it might be relationships. It could be a number of things. But what God calls us to do is he calls us to give our lives away. And when we do that, it is an act of worship. Romans 12 and 1 says it like this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Whatever we do and everything that we do, give it to the glory of God. This is worship. But there's something that we also have to recognize within this text is that we have to see that our priorities are going to ultimately reflect our affections. And we can't separate the two. Our priorities, what's important, reflects our loves. What's important reflects what we love. We cannot separate the two. And so what happens is if our priorities are wrong, then when we talk about what we love, it'll show either do we are we pursuing Jesus or do we love Jesus or do we reject him? How do we know that? Luke, Luke uh, 9.26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. To be ashamed. To be ashamed. Listen to this. To be ashamed is basically to reject. Our greatest affection, as I said earlier, I cannot stress this enough, reflects our deepest loyalty. Is how we know because Romans 1.16 says, Paul saying, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. That this power of God that brings salvation to all is not something to be ashamed of. But if we're if if it's not a reflection of our deepest desires, our deepest affections and our greatest priorities, when it comes time to confess Jesus, we will reject him. And what we see in our in the picture of of the reality of what's happening overseas is brothers and sisters who are willing to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because that's the only way that 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 3,400 plus believers, believers, brothers and sisters in Christ could find their end being placed in the throne of God by murder. In their deaths, we see where their greatest loves and loyalties lie. And what we see here in this idea of a shame culture, it, it's it's the centering of belief. Think about this. Now, I'm, I'm going to use this as, as another analogy that as a sports fan, right? I love, like, if you see my, I love my alma mater, Auburn. There's another team that I'm a supporter of, but I'm like in witness protection. One, because they're trash. Two, they don't even really have a nickname. They're a team without a mascot. You already see, you see the difference in parallels. One team, I said, I'm a proud Auburn Tiger, and I'm like, I'm in witness protection. Like, I don't even tell you what the team is. But there's a real question I have to ask here. If I'm ashamed of my team, am I really a fan? And we have a particular name for this type of fan. We call them Fairweather fans. So I guess I'm a Fairweather fan. Now, I've been with them for a long time, so I've been there when they won the Super Bowls, and I've been there when they've been over. But I'm tired of losing all the time and seeing my boys lose that I'm becoming a Fairweather fan. And then when they start winning, you know, yeah, I'm a, you won't see me post about them. 
And see, what we see here is that when Jesus was healing and when Jesus was feeding the multitudes, there were people that were following him because they're fans now. But when he gets arrested, when he gets crucified, what we see is that their loyalties are open for the next big thing. You see, when there's an opportunity to profess your deepest loyalties and affections, are you going to ride with Jesus even if it costs you? Or are you going to ride off to the next big thing? This is why Jesus started telling his disciples what was going to happen to them. And then he gives them the call to follow him. So in other words, he was giving them the terms up front. A lot of us were sold a bill of goods when we came to Christ. Some of us were given the bill of goods that when you come to Jesus, all your problems are going to go away. You're not going to have relationship problems no more. You're not going to have financial problems no more. Whatever. You're not going to. The issues and struggles of life are not going to happen anymore. But that's a lie. But Jesus tells us up front the good news in John 16, 33 is one of my favorite verses. In this world, you will have many troubles. Now, why do you say that? He says at the beginning of the passage, I've said this is that you may have peace. In this life, in this world, you will have many troubles, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. See, we can give our allegiance and our loyalties and our priorities to Jesus because he has already overcome. So we don't have to be ashamed of Jesus. We can walk with him. We can follow him. We can fellowship in his suffering. Why? Because he's already overcome the world. Now, I tell this thing as when I was coaching, I used to tell my players this all the time. There is no such thing as being halfway pregnant. Either you all in or you're not. Either you pregnant or you're not. Either you're fully committed to following Jesus or you're not. We have to be all in there. We either be fully committed to Jesus or not. So what does this look like in our lives and why is this so important? See, we need to examine ourselves in light of our pursuit of comfort and control. And we need to examine ourselves in light of this war uh, for our priorities and our affections. And it's because we're being discipled by something or someone. See, there's always something or someone that is vying for our priorities, our loyalties, and our affections. And those things or people shape our loves and what we worship, whether we recognize it or not. Now, see, we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. And we have to find out who or what has the throne of our heart. So are we being discipled by Facebook? Are we being discipled by Twitter or Fox News or MSNBC or CNN? So for some of us, we need to delete the app. We need to get off of Fox News, get off of MSNBC or whatever, and get in our Bible. See, here's the thing. If, if we're not spending time in the word, then we're going to be filling our heart with something else. Something else. If we're not filling it for God or with things about God or, or are reflecting our heart to God, something else is going to fill that space. So what does that look like in our lives? Well, I want to give you three words. And these three words kind of reflect our mode at the Bridge Church of what it means to be a disciple. Know, grow, grow and go. No, this is the first part. 
It is to know God through a relationship with Christ and answering that call to follow him. We want to know God, Philippians 3, and the fellowship of his sufferings. We want to know God. We can only know God through Christ. But that second part, it doesn't stop there. We have to grow. And so we grow in our knowledge of God and our relationship with Christ through Christian community. Check this out. Spiritual maturity and growth is community work. You cannot do it by yourself. I know we try to. We want to get on, on, uh, on the platforms of YouTube and watch a YouTube sermon and do all this stuff. And that's cool and all. But if that's the bulk of your diet, you will leave spiritually malnourished. We have to do it in community. So we know God, grow in community, but we also go. And we are to go and live on God's mission as his people where we live, work, and play. So we go and we fulfill the great commandment. In Matthew uh, chapter 22, verse 37 through 39, if you haven't realized, we're doing what I like to call a lot of Bible gymnastics. We like to flip through the word. Um, but in the text, uh, he said to him, talking about Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But we don't just stop there. We, we have to live out the great commandment. We also live out the great commission. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we fulfill the great commandment. We fulfill the great commission. But we also live out the great requirement in Micah 6, 8. Mankind or humanity, he has told you what is good that of what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness and to walk humbly with your God. So how do we know if we're doing this well? Well, I want to give you a couple of diagnostic questions just to think through this, because there's some areas in our lives that all of us can can grow in. There's room for growth and there's areas in our lives that we can see that growth take place. So how do I know if I'm growing as a disciple of Jesus? Well, here's some. First one, are you moving from being self-centered to Jesus-centered? As we said earlier, the call to discipleship is a life of worship. And that means going from being self-centered to Jesus-centered. Are you moving from isolation to authentic community? Are you risking yourselves to be vulnerable with other people to do it together? That's hard for many of us, but that's a call for all of us to do. Are you moving from charitable giving to radical generosity? And what I mean by that is, is your time, your talent, and your treasure. Here's another one. Are you moving from learner to multiplier? So what I mean by that is, as you are learning and growing in Christ, who are you leading to help others to grow in their faith with Christ? If it stops with you, then you have a problem that you need to see that there's a place of, of, of growth stunting. And then lastly, are you moving from being a consumer to being a contributor? In other words, are you more concerned about what the church can do for you? Or are you more concerned about how you can use your gifts and talents, the things that God has given you to serve the kingdom of God and his body? We want to be people who serve where we live, work, and play. 
And I want to encourage you something here. I know this sounds hard and about this cost of discipleship and the call to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and to follow him. This call to know God, to grow in community and go on mission. I know it's hard. I know it sounds like there's a big cost, but I want to encourage you that in the long run, it is worth it. One of the things that I look back in 20 years of college athletics is I can look back over the, the different wins that I've been a part of. And you know, the funny thing is, I don't remember the hot days of practice. I remember what it felt like to celebrate in the locker room. I remember what it looked like to get our championship rings. I remember when we go back with, amongst our, our teammates and the players we coach, whatever, and we reminisce about the good times and the funny times of living in community, the beauty of, of winning. And a lot of times we forget the pain that it cost us. Why is that? Because there is a beauty worth celebrating that transcends the cost that we had to pay. Paul says it like this in 2 Timothy verses, uh, four, uh, chapter 4, I'm sorry, verses 7 and 8. And he's at the end of his life. And he, he's, he's told the story about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He talks about knowing Jesus and the fellowship of his sufferings. But let me tell you what he says here. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Now watch this. And not only me, but to all, to all those who have loved his appearing. We are those all, uh, all those. We are those all those. All those who loved his appearing who answer the call to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize how hard the call is to follow you. But we thank you also, God, that you don't leave it up to us in our human effort to do this thing. For you said in your word that you will give us a helper, your Holy Spirit. And so, God, I just pray that for those of us that may have doubts about what it looks like to follow you, that you will just give us comfort and peace to know that, that you have given us everything that we need to live a life of holiness, to live a life that pleases you, as your word already says. And God, if there's someone who does not know you, I pray, God, that you will stir up within their heart, God, your love for them. And to, for them to recognize that the cost may be great, but the beauty of the rewards are that much greater. That is truly a joy and a beauty to follow you, even in the messes world. Why? Because your word said, Lord, that in this world we will have troubles, but be of good cheer, for you have overcome the world. And because of that, you have given us a peace that surpasses all understanding. As long as we fix our hearts and our minds on you, Lord, that is our prayer today, God, that as we lay out the cost of discipleship, that we will keep our eyes focused on you to the end of the race so that we can fight a good fight and we can run the good race. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.